At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And I I want to just say, uh, I've been waiting to preach uh, this chapter. It is, um, this chapter has been so impactful in my own personal life uh, that the Lord has just tried to reshape me, reform me, and remake me as I've been walking through uh, my own personal study in this. And so I'm so excited to share this with you this morning. And as we're turning there, I got a question for you. How do you respond when someone says to you, you are just like your father or you're just like your mother, right? That can, that can go one of two ways, right? Either that is a massive compliment or it is a massive criticism, right? Like, how does that make you feel when you think about that? When someone looks at you and they say, you are just like your father or you're just like your mother, you know, if our, our parents were people of character, if they were honest, if they were honorable, if they were hardworking, that's a compliment. But if our parents were angry, dishonest, addicted, whatever, if they were lazy, then that's a criticism. You know, the saying is true, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. And you know, the older I get, the more I'm coming to understand and see that I'm more like my parents in some ways than I thought I ever would be, the good and the bad. And you know, I think this is by God's design. By God's design, we know that fathers are called to be the heads of their home. With this office comes a lot of weight. And we see a generation where fathers are letting go of this responsibility, trying to outsource this responsibility to so many others, to media and to the world and and to schools and all of that. And fathers are abdicating their responsibilities. This office carries a lot of weight. And I want to remind us this morning, if a father is not spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally healthy, then dysfunction in the family is produced. And a cycle of generational sin begins. What has encouraged me greatly over the past, I don't know, maybe maybe year or so, is that in our church, in this church, I know 
That there are fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, young men and young women in our church that have decided to follow God and break the bondage of generational sin that's in their life. This is a movement that God is doing in this place. I see men and women standing up and saying, the status quo is not good enough. I, with my life, am going to follow Jesus and I'm going to lead my family in this way. This is a mighty work. So men, women, children, continue. Take heart today. Be encouraged today. That though you walk a path that is uncharted, continue to walk in faithfulness. Continue to walk in humility. Continue to walk in repentance. For the Lord is doing a mighty work. So today as we look at our text, as we are continuing our series from Daniel, as we're looking at the clash of cultures, we've been looking at how we are called to live faithful to the kingdom of God while living in a corrupt kingdom of the world. And today, as we look at the text, I want us to learn the lessons, to learn from the mistakes of those that have gone before us so that we don't repeat them in our own lives. And for some of you, you have inherited a faithfulness from your parents your parents have walked faithfully with the Lord and maybe you're here and you've wandered away from the faith that your parents have I want to encourage you today to come back or maybe you're here and you are one that is has been called out by God and you said in my generation in my time I'm going to live for the Lord well today I want us as we look at this text and before we break it down I want us to realize that God wants to do a mighty work in your life Let's read and let's learn from the mistakes of the past. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that, all the, ves- that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, And then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the encanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods? 
In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians and cantors, Chaldeans and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exile of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and cantors have been brought in before me to read the writing and make known to me its interpretations, but they could not show the interpretation of that matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretations, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him his interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heavens and he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of gold or silver and gold and bronze and iron and wooden stone, which you do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and who are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many tekel persons. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and has brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with, a purple, with purple, a chain of gold, and was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made known about that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, or Belshazzar the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. I wanted to read the context of this passage today so you get the gravity of what is taking place. 
As we've been walking through this series, we've been looking at the first four chapters of the book of Daniel, and what we see is God in his patient, powerful pursuit of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Last week, we saw that this powerful, prideful king was humble before the Lord, and he turned his eyes towards heaven and gave glory to God. And now between chapter 4 and chapter 5, it seems there's a major shift in the narrative. As 23 years have passed, we find a new king reigning in Babylon. You see, after the death of King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a six-year power struggle for the throne. Eventually, his son-in-law, Nebuchadnezzar, eventually established himself as king of Babylon. But in his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar was a distant king. He didn't really care or oversee the affairs of Babylon. Instead, we find himself hanging out in the beaches of Persia. So it's like he's taken a break, he goes away, and in his absence, Nebuchadnezzar appoints Belshazzar, his son, to govern Babylon. And so what we see here is a massive shift and the storyline changes, moves away from Nebuchadnezzar to his son that is his grandson. And during his reign, we know that Belshazzar did not regard God's reign in his life. As we walk through this chapter, we learn lessons. We learn that he will learn the lesson that his grandfather learned is that God is king over all kings and kingdom. We go back to Daniel chapter 2 and we learn that God removes kings and sets up kings. You see, Belshazzar may sit, be sitting there on the throne thinking that he became king through assassinations and through conspiracies. But he doesn't realize and doesn't want to give account to the fact that it is God's sovereign hand that has put him in this position of power. So today as we look at this text, let us learn the lesson of the text. That God is sovereign over ungodly kings and kingdoms. God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over my life. And he's sovereign over all things. And today as we look at this passage, we're we're left with two choices. We're either left with the reality of receiving the reign of God in our lives or rejecting the reign of God in our lives. Each one of us have to make that choice for ourselves, whether we will receive his reign in his life or reject his reign in his life. And today I want us to look at what are the ramifications or what does it look like to reject the reign of God in our lives. So we're gonna look at not the positive side of things today, but we're gonna look at the negative side of things because sometimes the negative, looking at the negative can be a great encouragement to us or be a great motivator for us for not wanting to receive the negative consequences. So today, let's look at three ways in which people can reject God. We reject God when we blaspheme the Most High God. Blasphemy of the Most High God is a dangerous thing, and I'll explain that to you a little bit more in a minute, but we see this in the passage See, both history and scripture tell us about the mighty Babylonian empire and that it fell in one night. That's in the history books. You can read in the Bible, but also go to the history books and you'll see that Babylon fell in one night. And we'll quickly learn that this is the night that that it falls. 
We see we learn from history, too, and from Scripture, that the Medes and Persian empires decided to form an alliance to overthrow Babylon. And right now, as the beginning of chapter 5 happens, we see and we know that the Medo persian army is outside of the city, ready for war. But King Belshazzar is not preparing for war. Instead, he's confident in the city walls. He's confident in the fortress that his grandfather had made. He's sitting there confident and putting his faith in his security and his safety in faith in the walls. So he thinks these city's walls are strong enough to keep him safe. And we know from history, too, that Babylon was an impressive city under King Nebuchadnezzar. He built a, a wall 45 miles all the way around the city. The wall that he built was 85 feet thick and 335 feet high. King Nebuchadnezzar also um, built the city right by the Euphrates River. And what he did was he had his, his people divert the uh, Euphrates River around the city. So the city also kind of had a moat all the way around it. But then he also had the river dug under the city wall so that inside of the city they could have water. So they could sustain life. And I'm told that the, the city itself was self-sustaining. That it, without any outside help, it could sustain itself for years and years and years. In his arrogance, King Belshazzar trusts that the walls will keep him safe. So he throws this elaborate party for thousands of people celebrating their safety. They're celebrating also their conquering of the God of the universe. Not his conquering, but his father's conquering. So the party starts and the wine starts flowing. And Belshazzar makes a grand gesture of arrogance. He commands that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his great grandfather, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought the gold and silver vessels in and they began drinking from them and worshiping the Babylonian gods. This was a defiant act of blasphemy. Their acts of arrogance against the most high God. They're celebrating with the golden cups and the, the vessels that were used in the temple for worship of the Most High God. And by doing this, they're, they're trying to diminish God's power and diminish his character and making him low by also lifting up their own gods. This blatant act calls into question God's name, God's character, God's strength, and his work. And according to the law of God, blasphemy is a serious crime against God. And on this night, God had had enough of Belshazzar's arrogance. So a human hand appears and begins writing on the wall. Can you imagine that just for a moment? You're partying, you're hanging out, life's going well, you're enjoying all of the things of life. And the thing from the Adams family shows up on the ground and starts crawling across the floor. Right? goes up to the wall and starts writing on the wall. Like, when you see something like that, you stop. Because that's freaky. Like, that stuff does, I don't, that doesn't have, that's not part of my normal life. I don't see that every single day. And so God is up to something, and what happens is Belshazzar sees it, and he is physically shaken. 
Scripture tells us that his color changed and his thoughts alarmed him and his limbs gave way and his knees began to knock together. This powerful king who's sitting around partying and and drinking with all of his concubines and his wives and living it up in the lap of luxury has now been brought low because he's afraid. He saw something that he could not control. He saw something that was beyond himself and it causes him to understand who he really is, that there's something greater, there's something better. And so he needs answers. In the crucible of his life, when the challenges come to him, what does he do? Well, he turns the religion and the faith of his father's. Remember, we go back to Nebuchadnezzar. Whenever there was a challenge in Nebuchadnezzar's life, where did he go? All the wise guys that he had assembled around him, the Chaldeans and the Encanters and the astrologers. He constantly would go to them seeking wisdom and understanding of how he's supposed to live his life. And now we see that Belshazzar is doing the same thing. So he calls all of them together and he says, hey, if you guys can interpret this and tell me what it is, you'll be promoted. I'll give you some purple clothes. You'll get a sweet necklace and you'll be third in control over Babylon. Knowing that he noticed and understood the severity of what was at stake, that he's willing to give someone that can give him the answers. He's willing to give them a prominent place. And none of them can. And it's funny how the voice of wisdom comes from his wife, the queen. Now, men, let take a lesson from that. Sometimes our wives have wisdom. Sometimes because our wives have been spending time with our heavenly father, they have a little more insight than we do. And sometimes we, as, as, as men, can be arrogant in our pride and say, no, 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 that's not the right way. You be quiet. I'll, I'll take care of this. I got this all covered. We saw when Uh, This king came to the end of his own wisdom that he needed more wisdom. And wisdom came through the voice of his wife. And his wife's like, hey, guess what? Remember, you remember that guy, Daniel? Remember Daniel, like who your your grandfather used over and over and over again? He, He has the spirit of the gods inside of him. He's able to give you understanding and give you wisdom and help you understand these things. So go call to him. Daniel, who has disappeared from the narrative to this point, is brought back so that he can communicate the words of God. And you know, the funny thing is, is that it's easy for us, I think easy for us, to see blasphemy in others. Right? And, and what I mean by blasphemy is simply to deny God. Right? When we deny God is loving, when we deny God is powerful, when we deny that God is sovereign, when we deny that God knows our needs, like when we deny those things and we try to control things, like everyone knows the control freaks in our lives, right? We, we, we can see that in other people. We, we know that when people turn their backs on God and say, God, I don't need God for nobody. I don't need him for nothing. I'm all okay, all on my own. We can see it in other people. You may be thinking you're hiding it from people, but people can see your blasphemy, right? People can see that how you deny God's power in your life. You deny his character in his life. But the truth is, is that it's hard for us to see it in our own lives, right? It's hard for us to see our denial of God, our disrespect of him, our arrogance towards him. But you know what? What? 
As parents, we need to realize that we are the primary faith shapers of our kids. Our kids look to us. We see that in times of difficulty, Belshazzar turned to the faith of his fathers. He watched how his fathers feared and when they feared what they worshiped. And the same is true for us. Our kids are watching us. Our kids are watching us to see what we do when we're afraid. Our kids are watching us to see what it is that we worship. We are impacting our children. And so if we are a control freak, if we choose to to respond in fear with control, our kids see that. Our kids see what we lust after. Our kids see what our hearts desire and what we bow ourselves to. Our kids see. Our attitudes and our actions towards God and his words impress upon our kids. And we see this showing up. It's in scripture, but it's also in our lives. But the truth is, is that each one of us are guilty of blasphemy. Each one of us are guilty of denying God. Each one of us are in equal need of forgiveness. The Bible reminds us for the wages of sin is death, right? The the payment of our lives work is death. That's the payment of our lives work, right? If you're living for yourself, living, trying to control things, living as though life is out of control and you're like, ah, I gotta make this work. The work, the payment of your work, the payment of the kingdom that you're building is death. Eternal punishment in hell, separated from God because you refuse and you deny the reign of God in your life. But that's not where the story ends. We're reminded that it's for by grace we've been saved through faith. That is a gift of God, not by ourselves so that no one can boast. The difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus. And in Mark chapter three, verse 28, Jesus tells us that forgiveness is found through faith in him. Mark three twenty-eight says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. You hear that? In Jesus, Through faith in Jesus, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. So there is this great promise. You are in desperate need of salvation. Don't don't misunderstand that this morning. Each one of us are in desperate need of salvation because with every breath of our lives, we deny God and we blaspheme him. But Jesus has come to forgive us of all that. And I love how 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, if we humble ourselves before the Lord and confess to him our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, we are dirty, rotten blasphemers. But Jesus makes us right. Jesus can take the blasphemes that come out of our lives and turn them into praise. But it comes through our own humility. It comes through us humbling ourselves before our great God 
and repenting of the way and the path of a former life and to accept the reign of God in our lives. Second, I want us to see the downfall of it is that when we walk in such a way against God, rejecting his reign, we repeat past sins. See, the king needed Daniel to interpret the writing on the wall because there was no Babylonian wise men that could. And so the king comes to Daniel and he offers him the same reward that he offers the other men that if they can interpret the message. And Daniel says to the king, I don't want any of this. Like, I take, keep all this. I don't want the robe. I don't want the necklace. I don't want the power. I don't want the position. But I will interpret to you. And it's almost as though as you, you hear this, like Daniel, it seems like for 30 some years or so, has kind of been in the background. At one point, he was there when he saw the mighty king repent and turn his heart back to God. He was there in that moment. And then he's had to live all of these years in the background of knowing how good it was. And now it's almost as though he's become an afterthought. And now he comes back in to, on the scene and sees the grandson following in the dangerous footsteps of the grandfather. And it's almost like he has disdain in his voice because he has no love, no respect for the king who refused to be humble before God. Belshazzar was repeating the sins of his grandfather. And we see it now, it plays it out. And Daniel's reminding him, though Nebuchadnezzar was great and powerful, he was the most powerful worldly leader at the time, his power and his gifts came from God. The Most High God. Verse 18, he says, O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. It's not the work of your hands, but it's the work of God. And so Daniel continues recounting Nebuchadnezzar's life and how God deals with his arrogance and pride by bringing him low and making him like an animal to remind him that God is in control and sovereign over all things. And once... Nebuchadnezzar identified and realized the reign of God in his life. He humbled himself before the Lord. Daniel implies that Belshazzar should have learned from his grandfather. He should not have walked in the pride and the arrogance, but rather honored God in his life, and he didn't. And Daniel says it's because of that that God now has had enough. So he sends the finger and the hand that writes this message. And Daniel is almost as though, remember last week, he, he was kind of fearful to interpret the message to Nebuchadnezzar. It's almost now he's almost, he's almost overexcited about it. It's almost like, hey, okay, you want to go this way? This is what's going to happen. And so... He writes, he sent the hand with inscription. Daniel appears happy to interpret the ominous message. And we see what's happened is that pride has been passed down. Nebuchadnezzar built this great kingdom. He did all of this as a way to show his, um, his power over God, that he didn't need God. And then it was passed on down to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, okay, this is great but I don't want to have to deal with this, so he's a distant king. Now Belshazzar is musing over his own greatness. And what we see is this pattern of sin 
This pattern of pride, this pattern of arrogance, this pattern of having to build my own kingdom for myself gets passed on down. The Old Testament refers to this, what we see here, as generational curse. It's mentioned several times in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, this is, these are the words of the Lord. It says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, referring to idols. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. Now he's talking about iniquity here, right? Remember the, the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity? Like iniquity is the, the sin where I know the good I ought to do. I know what is, dis, what is declared of me and what I'm supposed to do, but an iniquitous person says I know it and I'm choosing to not go that way. I'm turning my heart away from this. So the father that chooses to walk in iniquity, the consequences of that get passed on down from generation to generation. It may sound unfair to you that God would punish the sins of, their, of the father, punish the children for the sins of the father. But that's not what's going on here. It's deeper than that. What he's talking about is an evil, rebellious father raises evil and rebellious children. So they walk in the ways of their father and they walk in the ways that they saw him walk and they in self also receive judgment. Ungodly fathers, rebellious children. So it's not unjust for God to punish their sins because they're walking in the generations of sin. And this is what we see happening with this king. Parents, let me remind you, we are either leaving a legacy of folly or a legacy of faith. Our response is to see our sin and rebellion in our own hearts and to come in humility, not pride, come in humility before the Lord in faith and repentance. I said earlier, and I want to bring it back, that, that parents, especially fathers, if we're out of whack spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, if we're out of whack in any way, in those ways, we're going to begin a cycle of dysfunction. Because our kids see the way that we live. They see the way that they walk. They see the way that we are in every area of our lives. So if we're out of whack in those ways, our kids are going to see that. And they're going to be tempted to walk in that same way. So today, I just encourage you if, you, if you are a father, if you are a mother, if you're a young person, realize that your legacy even begins today, young person. Make sure that you're bringing in all areas of your life under, in humility, you're bringing those areas before the Lord. Spiritually, make sure that your relationship with God is, is secure. Not, not perfect, right? God, God doesn't need us as, as parents and as people to be perfect. He needs us to be faithful. There's a big difference there, right? Because we're not gonna be perfect. But spiritually, we're showing and we're displaying that we have a real walk with the God of the universe, Secondly, we're physically taking care of ourselves. Like physically, that's important that we care for our bodies as a temple and that we're carrying that on down because this is a gift. Your body is a gift from God. Your mind mentally is a gift from God. 
And your emotions that God has given you is a gift from God. And so we've got to, as, as a full person, we're bringing all of this and who we are before the Lord and under his lordship. So that he can rule and reign over all of that. Lastly, if we reject the reign of God in our lives, we will experience God's judgment. In verses 24 through 31, this is how we we see it playing out. Daniel delivers this rebuke and judgment on Belshazzar as he interprets the message on the wall, the message, mene, mene, tekel, parsons. We see the three different words, the first repeated twice, perhaps to give emphasis, but then he provides the interpretation of these words, mene, comes from the verb that means to count or to number. And so Daniel's interpretation is this, God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. That's said twice as a way of emphasis. King, your reign is coming to an end swiftly and quickly. Tekel comes from the verb to weigh, which Daniel says, you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Perez comes from the verb meaning to divide. Belshazzar's Babylon is going to be split and given to two Iranian powers, the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar's pride and the Babylonian kingdom were overthrown by the sovereign hand of God in just one night. See, history tells us that on this night, that Belshazzar is living it up inside the kingdom, surrounded by all of these beautiful walls of protection. He's drinking and he's with women. He's got everyone, thousands of people all around him. He thinks everything's good and he doesn't realize that God through this Medo Persian army is going to overthrow them for what they did was They went a mile upstream and dammed the Euphrates River or diverted the Euphrates River. And then what they did is they took the path, the tunnel that was made to carry the water inside the city. They went into the city undetected that night. The whole army comes into the city undetected. And while everyone's drunk and partying and doing all these things, the king is slayed. And the nation of Babylon comes down just like that. You don't believe me, like, that's history. That's, that's, that's history. They were unprepared, and that night they died. So though history books will give credit to the fall of Babylon, to the Medes and Persians, the Bible reminds us that God is so sovereign over ungodly kings and kingdoms. The truth be told is that each one of us are in the process with our hands and with our lives, we're building a kingdom. That, that's the, the work of your life, is you're, you're building a kingdom. And in the end, when we stand before God, we will have to give an account for the kingdom that we built. Our work will be measured, our work will be weighed meaning that everything that we've made our lives about, every kingdom that we put together, it's going to stand before God and it will be weighed. And I hope that we're not found wanting. 
I hope that the work of your hands is not found wanting. And I love how Jesus reminds us of this in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, we are building a kingdom. You're either building on the kingdom of your fathers or you're building on the kingdom of your heavenly father. For when we come to faith in Christ, we are no longer children of the world, but we're children of God. And we're called to, uh, to expand his kingdom. And the works of our hands should be towards that end. Building on what the cornerstone of Christ. I said this last week and I'll say it again. I think the biggest challenge that Belshazzar faced was that he misinterpreted God's grace for God's approval. This is just such a dangerous mistake. Like sometimes we, we live our lives and we, we, we are walking in blasphemous ways where we're denying God's power in our lives and we're like, okay, I, I, I can give in just a little bit. I can give in just a little bit and it's no big deal. We think as though God's judgment doesn't come swiftly that we're okay and he's like, he's approving of the ways in which we're walking, the ways in which we live. But be sure of this. God's justice is coming. God's justness is right and it is good. And if you're not going through God's judgment now, know that it's because he's withholding his judgment with his mercy. So respond to his mercy through repentance and humility. For in Jesus, we heard earlier that all sin, rebellion can be forgiven. This is the grace of God, but there's a limit to the grace of God. And this is it that Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever they blasphemies they utter. The very next verse describes the limit of God. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. There's a great danger. And I'm going to interpret this for you real quick because we're running out of time. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what's that? That is, according to Jesus, there is a sin that is eternal consequences that you will not be forgiven of. And it's a sin, not of a specific moment. He's not talking about just one specific sin, but he's talking about the person that gives their life over and continually rejects him over and over and over, all the way till their death. That's a person that blasphemes the Holy Spirit. That's a sin that cannot be forgiven because your time of grace has expired. So while you have breath in your lungs right now, you're walking in the grace of God. So we should respond appropriately by bowing before him and accepting the rule of his reign in our lives. Let's take a lesson from history today and look at, make sure that we're not overestimating ourselves and underestimating the power of God in our lives. Parents, if you have an unbelieving child 
or child, if you have an unbelieving parent, while they still have breath, there's still grace. Nothing they can do is unforgivable. Nothing they have done. So in this time, we should be praying for our unbelieving parents. We should be praying for our unbelieving children, praying that God would be gracious to them and that he would open their eyes of their lives and they would be reminded of their pride and they would be brought low and humbled before the Lord. That's a mighty work. Maybe you're here and you feel the call to, to live different and you've been walking as a, as, as a father, as a mother and you're trying to change the generational curse in your life. Let me just remind you, continue to stay humble. Continue to live a life of repentance. Continue just to follow after your father, your heavenly father. Because now we follow in his footsteps. We follow his ways and we know those ways through Jesus and the person of Jesus. If you're here today and you haven't yet come to know Christ, you haven't come yet to lay your heart before him and to accept his reign in your life, you can do that today by simply calling on his name for salvation, humbling yourself, repenting of your life, and turning it back to God the Father through Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you Thank you for your word today. I thank you for the challenge that it brings and the warning that it brings. That a life of pride, a life of arrogance comes to an end. And it comes to an end in judgment. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that the right way, the best way is to respond by accepting the rule of your reign in our lives. Father, I'm thankful for the men, women, and children in this building right now, in this place, that have seen you and have known you, and you have illuminated their eyes, illuminated their hearts, and they're choosing to walk in a new way. Father, strengthen them today. Encourage them today especially as we live in a world that's full of darkness, that fully, continually wants us to live for ourselves, try to take control of our own lives. Father, I pray today we would reject that and trust in you. Father, I thank you. Thank you for those that you're working in, and I pray that that work will continue. And we see the generations of faithfulness begin. The generational curse ends in this generation. And then a generation of faithfulness continues on to our children and to their children and to their children and to their children. God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. 